My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I want to get some feedback from you, the listener. We're looking at ways that we can take the podcast in new directions, new guests that we want to have on the show, new ideas we want to share with you. So we have a lot of threads going for this at Expat Money Forum, our private Facebook group. If you go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can join the conversation. I want to hear feedback from you guys. What topics have we not covered that you want to hear more of? Do you want to hear more stories from successful expats who have moved offshore? Do you want to hear more business-related stuff, more finance-related stuff? Are you more interested in immigration and visas and passports? Is it the investments or real estate? I want to know what you are interested in. This show is not about me. It is about you guys. It is about all of my amazing listeners and trying to help inspire you and get you the best up-to-date knowledge every single Wednesday when I publish this show. So join the conversation at Expat Money Forum. Let me know what you think, what you want to hear more about, how I can best serve you. It's really important to me to make this show the absolute best in our space. And I think we're off to a really good start podcast has been going for over four years now, which is just hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday I started it and the feedback has been amazing, but there's always room to improve. There's always things we can do better. So share your knowledge, share your expertise, share what you want to hear, share your wants, your desires, your needs, your goals, everything with us at Expat Money Forum. I really appreciate it and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest helps ambitious people get ahead in their careers, helps them to grow their networks, sell themselves, find their focus, and land their dream jobs. He works with students, homeschooling parents, and educators everywhere. Please welcome to the show, Zach Slayback. Zach, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're really happy to have you here. So, Zach, why don't you take a couple minutes and just kind of walk us through a bit about your backstory? Yeah, absolutely. So I've spent the last good chunk of my my professional career, as in all of it thus far, (laughs) working with both business owners, investors, and with primarily young people looking to get started and get ahead in their careers. So while I was in college, I was doing well, but I was bored out of my mind. I went to a friend of mine who was founding a company at the time that gives young people jobs at startups without college degrees. And I told him, I know you're starting this business. I'm bored out of my mind. I'll work for you for free after class on the weekends, whenever. I started working with him uh, about a year into doing that. He, I was able to start making money, which was important. (laughs) 
And I took a year off from school, went to go work full time on that, joined the company, became their director of business development. And in that capacity, my job was to sell businesses to sign up to take and hire a lot of these young people. And that was an interesting experience because I both got to learn how to do a lot of business to business kind of selling. So I tell people, people ask me like, oh, you know, to help a lot of ambitious young people who, you know, they may not have a specific set of skills. They may not have a large network already. They may not have a lot of accomplishments behind them yet. I was able to help them get those jobs at those companies. So, you know, I learned a lot there for a couple of years. I left that company last year, did some writing, did some consulting and have focused on applying a lot of those concepts to a slightly older demographic than the demographic that that business worked on. And that's a lot of, you know, late 20s, early 30s kind of people who they're working, you know, big cubicle jobs. Maybe they watch the movie Office Space and that resonates with them and they want to get out of that. Right. That usually looks like one of two things uh, that either looks like going and getting a job at a startup which is you know a very different kind of work environment. If you're very much the you enjoy productive work kind of person and you need to have that kind of work environment, that's a great way to try to escape the the cubicle nine to five, right? And then the other end of the spectrum is people who are starting lifestyle businesses, right? So I've, I've got one client, for example, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've got one client here in Pittsburgh, for example, worked for a big baseless cubicle corporation and quit his job there, started his own freelance business, came and he hired me and we've been able to grow it into like a pretty large consulting business. It's just him that supports his family really, really well. And, you know, he's got one young son, he's got another young child on the way, and that allows him to do what he wants to do, which is make funny YouTube videos with his son. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty nice way to earn a living, I would say. Yeah, for him, I, uh, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> So break down for me a little bit more about what you're focused on. Like, how do you do this? How do you find your clients? Yeah. So I like to say that the area I'm focused on is helping you sell both yourself and helping you sell whatever it is that you offer as a service, right? So if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a business owner, a lot of the people who come to me, they're freelancers and they want to go from being a freelancer because being a freelancer is really hard. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of energy. You have to track people down. You have to make them fill, fulfill invoices. Then you have to negotiate your rates with them, which if they've never hired a freelancer before, which is a whole other thing we can get into, they've never hired a freelancer before. They don't understand that you often pay more to hire someone who's a contractor. So they want to go from running a freelance kind of business to running what I call a consulting business where they have regular clients. They might have subcontractors. They might even hire a couple employees. A lot of them come to me inbound. I write a lot and I have a pretty good inbound funnel set up on my website. If you end up on my website, which most of my writing across the web links back to, you'd be prompted to sign up for my email newsletter. The lead magnet that I have right now is email scripts, because again, big thing that I talk to people about is making sure that you know the right people so that you can actually do the selling that you need to do. You download those, you get an email from me, and a lot of people will reach out to me from there and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to do XYZ. I'm looking to you know, stop having to track down a new client for every new freelance gig. I'm looking to grow my business as an actual business, not just freelancing. And we hop on the phone. I do some prospecting on my end. And 
then we decide to work together based on a couple variables, right? That are mostly, do I think that this person will listen to the things I am saying and do I enjoy working with this person? And then the other end of the spectrum is when people are looking for career kind of consulting, career work, they come to me through a very similar kind of process and I will put them through, again, a similar kind of prospecting funnel. And for a lot of that, that's the same stuff time and time and again. And for a lot of people, they just need the accountability of another person there checking in on them. They need the accountability of another person, you know, reviewing their personal website, reviewing their professional portfolio, doing interview prep with them. And a lot of that stuff is stuff that I can automate on my side of things. So I do do some, the outbound that I do is usually I'll go to events and do like mentoring and office hours. And usually somebody from that will say, Hey, I really enjoyed this. This was really, really helpful. Are you for hire? And I tell them, well, depending on the time of the year, yes. So that's super interesting. And I would love to talk to you maybe a little bit later about the events. But one of the things that stood out for me when you were speaking was the fact that you really want to work with people who are coachable, people who want to follow direction and can follow direction. Can you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, so I'll get somebody on the phone. I'll ask them, you know, how did you find me? I asked you that before we got started. And that just allows me to have an idea of like, where they come from. I've got a couple different verticals in my audience. One of my verticals is people who are, you know, the listeners of, of your podcast, right? They're people who they either are business owners or they want to become business owners. They like the idea of being able to control their career. Another demographic of mine are people who are in the United States, they would be described as like libertarians. You know, they're very independent, either politically or personally. That's a different demographic. People come to me a little bit differently there. And then there are people who come to me from more the education side of things, which these are all these all overlap a little bit. But if someone comes from to me because they saw some of my writing on homeschooling, you know, I'm going to know something a little bit different about them. Right. They have a different user avatar, a different customer avatar in my mind. So when I get them on the phone, you know, we run through why did you reach out to me? What what are you currently unhappy with about your career? What are you currently unhappy with about your business? Because I think one of the things and, I, and I've got a resource that I've developed that's kind of around, based around this idea. One of the things I really don't like about all the guru ship out there, whether it's self-help, personal development, professional development, whatever it is, almost all these people have like some set of goal setting resources, right? But I think when you start thinking about goal setting, too many people get caught up in like, what do you want? And especially if you're younger, i.e. like under the age of 40 or 45, you don't have any idea what you want. That's a really, really easy way to get overwhelmed very, very quickly, right? So I walk people through, what is it that you don't want, right? What is it that is messed up in your career? What is it that is messed up in your business? And I think that fixing those things is often a better use of their time and my time and will yield better results for them than trying to generate new things. We do work on generating new, you know, whether it's new funnels, new resources, new products. We do work on those, but I like to couch them in terms of negatives first and then move from there. So it's not so much what you're adding. It's a lot of times what you can take away. Yeah, what you can take away to improve what you're doing now. Makes sense. Perfect. And do you find that there is a trait that you see between like all your different students that would allow them to be coachable? I want to dig deep on this little topic right here because I find this really fascinating. You know, is there a similarity 
between people that they take people's advice, that they take your advice. I think the fact that they're reaching out in the first place kind of selects them. And there's there's a there's a selection bias right there, right? I was talking to a friend of mine a couple months ago about different personal development and professional development gurus and programs and things like that. And my friend pointed out, he's like, yeah, those things are all great, but I think the, the problem with them is that the type of person who would really benefit from them doesn't engage with them in the first place, right? And, I, and unfortunately, I think that that's right. I think a lot of people who would really, really benefit from personal and professional development programs, they write it off as like, oh, you know, that's, that's bullshit, right? So the fact that they got to me in the first place was really, really helpful. After that, one of the things I will do, and this was something that, you know, I picked up in previous work, is I'll watch what their turnaround time is for requests. If I request that they, let's say we're doing just basic career work, right, and they want to go get a new job, I'll request that they do a specific assignment for me. And I know that this assignment can be done in a day. I know that this assignment can be done in 12 hours. And if it takes them four days to get it back to me, that will often be a person that I'll punt down the line is like, eh, you know, I'm going to put you on the back burner or I will push you over currently to being a beta tester for one of my video resources. Because in that case, I think what they just need is they need access to the resources more than they would get value out of paying for a specific block of time with me. And it would bring more value for them and more value for me to free up that time. So turnaround time is a big thing. I do do some currently right now. I do use one personality test and I'm, I'm not crazy about personality tests, but the one that I use is the disc profile. And there are two traits in the disc profile that I've noticed have been really, really helpful for me to take a look at. One is uh, decisiveness and the other one is cautiousness, right? So if someone's very high in decisiveness, you know, they, they tend to make decisions quickly and they tend to act on those decisions. If they're very low in decisiveness, they tend to putz around. They're not really quite sure. If they're very high in cautiousness, they like to do all their research first. Uh, if they're very low in cautiousness, they're a little bit more impulsive, right? So someone who's actually fairly difficult to work with is someone that's very low in decisiveness, but also very low in cautiousness. Uh, this is someone who they won't really make decisions, and they're also really impulsive. Uh, so when they do make decisions, it's not very predictable, and they're not very well-researched decisions. Uh, someone who is much easier for me to work with would be someone who's low in decisiveness or high in cautious and high in cautiousness, or someone who's high in decisiveness and low in cautiousness. The reason why I like working with those people one on one is if you're low in decisiveness and high in cautiousness, often working directly with me helps you outsource that cautiousness and that research and that ability to do the decision making. Then I can push you to make the decision, right? Uh, someone who is high in decisiveness and low in cautiousness is someone who they're going to make the decision quickly and I'm able to kind of take a step back with them and say, okay, well, let's look at all of our options first. Then you can make the decision. Me personally, my results on, on that test is that I'm very, very high in decisiveness and moderately high in cautiousness. So you really look for people that you can compliment, that your set of skills will help them to progress a little bit further opposed to finding someone who's maybe exactly like you already. Oh, if, if, if someone was exactly like me, I would probably hate them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, no it, it would probably not end particularly well. Yeah, I mean, most of my clients tend to be men, right? I think that's just because I've, from a copywriting perspective, I've got a fairly masculine tone to my writing. I do have uh, a bit of a, I guess, paternal, which is a weird word for me to use to describe myself, tone with a lot of my clients where if I think that they're doing something wrong, I'm not going to tell them what to do, right? 
But I will tell them, I think you're doing something wrong and I think you're hurting yourself. And I've had numerous clients time and time again tell me like, I'm so glad that you, you know, you cut through that bullshit and you told me that. So is that more of the, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not quite that. I'm not disappointed yet, but I will be disappointed <laughs> if you make this decision. That's a good thing because you want to come across, and, and this is not for everybody. A lot of times though, you do want to come across that, you know, your prospects, they don't want to disappoint you. They know that they need to get this done and they need to get it done in time and of high quality because they don't want to disappoint you. So if you've positioned yourself in a place like that and your prospects and your clients are resonating with that, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. And, and it works really well with my clients. I enjoy working that way. I tell people, I'm like, you know, if productivity is truly a problem for you, we'll work on some productivity stuff. But I really am at the end of the day, like a communication and sales and career expert. I'm not a life coach. I'm not going to do life coach stuff for you. I'm not going to give you like the gumdrops and the rainbows and all that kind of stuff. So if that's what you want, you can go hire someone else. I work with a number of different coaches. I do coaching for other people and I'm also in return coached. And my favorite coaches are the ones who kick my ass. If I've said I'm going to do something and I don't do it, like they're they're pretty pissed. Like they don't have time to waste, you know? So it, it really pushed me and really drives me forwards. Yeah, I mean, I, I've conditioned one of my clients that if he doesn't have anything to talk to me about for the week, for example, he knows just not to schedule anything with me for that week. So I want to switch things up a little bit. I was reading through your blogs and I found this one quote and I'm going to say it here and I want you to kind of break this down a little bit for us. The blog's been around for years, so we'll see. We'll see how I can break <laughs> it down. <laughs> well, I hope this one still resonates with you. School should have taught you how to succeed at work and build a great career. Instead, it taught you the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Thankfully, I teach what school never taught. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can break this down a couple of ways, right? And I think each way will resonate with a different type of person. There's a historical context here. Schools were not designed explicitly. They were explicitly not designed for the kind of work that we have today, right? They were not designed for knowledge work. They were not designed for any kind of independent work. They were actually explicitly designed to create a worker and managerial class that came about during the scientific management revolution of the early 20th century, right? Especially in the United States, especially in Western Europe, the American industrialists alongside with the American scientific planners took a lot of plans from Prussia and then from the German empire. And they applied a lot of these ideas in the United States explicitly because we've got a lot of steel factory workers, we've got a lot of oil workers, but we don't have managers that we suddenly need to work with them, right? So schools were designed explicitly to create those classes of people. And the momentum of the institution, it, you know, it, it's one of these institutions that's really, really hard to change just because it's so big, it's so complex, there's so much culturally caught up in it that even their teachers and their school administrators and there are a ton of people who know that these things are wrong, but they just can't change them. It's very, very difficult and it takes a long, long time to change them. The other thing is that a lot of this kind of work in order to find a great career is something that's very difficult to teach in a classroom. It's very difficult to pick up in a classroom. I can teach you the concepts. Uh, a teacher could teach you the concepts. They could teach you frameworks for these things, but you actually have to go out into the real world and start practicing them. One of the reasons I get so caught up in the school stuff 
is one, I was exactly the kind of student that you just described. I got great grades. I did very well in school. I got into my top choice, you know, in Ivy League University, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea where I wanted to go. I, I had a loose idea for a couple of years at a time, right? And I, there'd be something that would catch my attention, something shiny that would catch my attention for a couple of years. But getting out into the workforce and actually figuring out, like, how do I find a job that I actually really enjoy was something that I only learned because I helped other people do it. And a lot of the people I met, a lot of the people I worked with, I noticed that people who were great, great students in high school or in college were often harder for me to get jobs than people who were like totally unschooled or totally homeschooled, or they went and they got jobs while they were in high school and their grades were mediocre or they were slightly above average. And I noticed that there is an inverse correlation between performance in school and ability to place somebody in a job, which I thought was really weird. And it wasn't that like school somehow hurts it necessarily. It's that school deprives you of the ability to go out and test it in the real world, right? There's some really, really interesting research and studies from Dr. Peter Gray, who wrote a book called Free to Learn that's all about how human beings learn naturally and how we learn well. And he's tracked people who were unschooled specifically and has found that they do very well in their careers because they started, they tend to start their careers earlier and they just tend to be exposed to a larger sample size of experiences. So that's a big part of it as well. You know, I talk to people who they come out of universities and they tell me they're able, they're able to rattle off all this book knowledge, but I ask them, you know, why don't you just send a cold email to the person who runs this company and ask them to meet? Or why don't you put something together for this business and send it over to them? And if they think it's impressive, you can schedule time to call them. And this just absolutely blows their minds because it's never been presented to them before. Because the incentive structure is not designed to do that. The incentive structure at the high school level nowadays is designed to maximize the number of students who are admitted to colleges, right? Some high schools in the United States even are not allowing people to graduate unless they have an acceptance to the military or they have been accepted to college. So their incentives are to send as many people as possible to colleges. So they just pass the buck, right? And then in the, at the college level, most of these professors don't want to be there. They don't want to be teaching students. They're there because they're research professors. So they've got other work they need to focus on. Their incentive is to focus on their research. Their incentive is to focus on getting grants. So they just kind of pass the buck down to employers. And then employers deal with recent graduates, and they, they look around, and these recent graduates have no idea what they're doing. And employers are unhappy about it, too. So it's just a constant passing of the buck. And a lot of people who find me, find my work, they understand, like, school, school was supposed to teach me something that it didn't. And we try to break that down into the incentive structures, the frameworks. I don't like hacks and tricks and things like that, but we do do some of those as well. So like if you change your phrasing on an email or you change your phrasing on your resume or you follow up in this way, you're able to make a better impact on somebody. So walk me through some of the skills then that you do try to help your students develop then. Yeah, the, the first and the core one is I'm going to I'm going to reframe this question just for a second. Tim Ferriss likes to ask on his podcast or used to. I don't know if he still does. What is something that you would put on a billboard along the highway, right along the 101 in California? And for me, it would be incentives matter. That would be it. Right. Because the framework that I always come back to at the end of the day is essentially economics. It's microeconomics. If you want to understand how people make decisions, how they think, studying psychology is great, but I really think you should study microeconomics. It's how people make decisions on the margin. 
It's how people weigh opportunity costs. They they weigh costs and benefits. And they don't do a lot of these things explicitly, but it's really, really important that you understand how people make these kinds of decisions, right? So the first thing I work with students on is understand that you need to align your incentives with other people's incentives if you want to accomplish anything, right? You want to find people who you can help and who you helping, whether that is as a business owner or as an employee, will help them achieve what they want to achieve, right? So one of like the advanced tools that I have for students is if you're trying to do business to business kind of work, right? If you're trying to do sales and business development, uh, actually sitting down and drawing out what I call an incentive map. It's essentially just two columns. And in one column, you have avoid and in the other, other column, you have achieve, right? And the decision maker that you're talking to, what are the things that every day, day in and day out, they want to avoid? And what are the things that every day, day in and day out, they want to achieve, right? And this isn't like, you want to shift their incentives in any kind of way. You don't, because that's really hard. And that takes a long time and a lot of work. Instead, you want them to understand that what you want to do will help them achieve the things they want to achieve and will help them avoid the things they want to avoid, right? Very simple example of this is if you're dealing with a middle manager and the middle manager is kind of stonewalling you, don't go above them to their boss because that will make them look stupid and if you're going to have to deal with them on numerous instances, one of the things they want to avoid is looking stupid in front of their boss. So instead, it's better for you to give them something that makes them look smart in front of their boss and makes them have less work that they have to accomplish, right? Because those are both things that they want to avoid. They want to avoid doing more work and they want to avoid looking dumb in front of their boss. And the inverse of both those is they want to do less work and they want to look good in front of their boss. So understanding that basic framework that incentives matter is ridiculously important for people. People will go to employers and they'll turn in a resume and they'll just put in the resume and they'll put in the cover letter and they'll say why you should hire me. And in the section where they say why they, you should hire me, they talk about how great they are. And that's like going on a date and sitting down and the person across from you just starts talking about how wonderful they are and why you should date them. Nobody wants to do that. That sounds awful to anybody. Instead, the way that you want to approach it is here are all the great things that I will be able to help you accomplish that I know you already want to accomplish. So that's the, the the basic thing. And then from there, you know, we get like very specific skills. A big skill that I focus on right now with a lot of people is cold emailing. People don't focus on cold emailing. This is one of these things that is a very basic skill that should really be taught in at least business school is knowing who to email how to structure the email, how to follow up the email, how to craft a call to action, and how to make that email ridiculously easy for that person to understand and to reply to. If you have that skill, you will unlock massive opportunities in your career. Whether, again, you are a business owner or you are going to get a job or you're a freelancer, whatever you are, because that allows you to get in touch with almost anybody in the developed world. And yes, the reality is you could write a perfect cold email and not everyone's going to reply to you but you will drastically increase your chances of getting someone to reply to you if you actually learn how to write these things well. And again, that's all incentives. So if you're sending a cold email to a busy decision maker, the thought experiment I'd like to run through, students through is if you've ever been in a really busy, crowded, terrible airport, right? Here in the States, that might be Ronald Reagan National Airport or LaGuardia. I was just in New York yesterday. LaGuardia is a nightmare. And you get a cold email from a total stranger and you're, you've got your luggage behind you in your dominant hand, and you're holding your phone in your non-dominant hand. And you get a cold email from a stranger 
the content of the email is fine enough and it sounds interesting enough that you want to reply to it, but they don't make it really easy for you to reply. They make it that you have to sit down, you know, use both hands to reply on the phone or pull out your laptop to reply, or they make it that you have to send an email saying like, okay, so what do you want? They're not going to reply to that email. The reality is something more important is going to get onto their radar first. And for them, the most important thing is not necessarily, am I persuaded, but is this easy for me to reply to? Because how they will mark the email, just like how normal people do, is this email is difficult to reply to, I will get to it later. Except because they're a very busy decision maker, it later never comes. So if you actually understand the incentive structure that's available to them immediately, you can get that reply much more easily. Yeah, I definitely find that later equates to never. Oh, absolutely. So I suppose then copywriting, because we did mention it earlier, has a lot to do with this. So crafting the call to action or the CTA, as we would say, how you would structure things with your headers, how you would have the bulk of everything written out. And I think that copywriting is often just thought about as the written word or maybe even pictures, but a lot of times it's also how you would talk to people. And I think that if you do get in front of someone, the things that you're speaking about would also be very applicable. Yes. So when I talk to people and we're talking about doing, getting in front of very busy people, right? Each stage of the game has a different psychology that comes to it, right? Each stage of the game has a different set of incentive structures that come with it. At the very beginning, the number one thing you want to focus on is getting them to reply, right? So if anyone here is really into copywriting and, you know, has read things like scientific advertising and all these other books on the subject matter, your copy in your first email should not be fancy. It actually is not like a, it's not like a sales letter because we're just trying to get a quick response. Then once you get the response, we're able to go deeper into like the copywriting psychology and you could send something that's a little bit longer, like a sales letter. You can get somebody on the phone. You can focus a lot more on what is more persuasion rather than replyability, right? I think that it's important to keep in mind, especially in a world where Facebook at their F8 conference recently was bragging about the fact that they were able to cut the average attention span down to like 1.6 seconds. It's important to keep in mind that anytime you have someone's attention, especially when you're not actually directly in front of them, you need to struggle in every sentence to keep their attention. I like to view every sentence in that first message or in that follow-up message as something that allows you to get past that next goalpost. And then when you actually get somebody on the phone, then we start thinking about, okay, in order for this to be persuasive, I want to frame it in terms of things they already want to achieve, right? So I was at an event the other night and I met one of the people that I learned from for the first time and I, and I love a lot of his content. And I asked him, you know, when you started doing some sales and he's much more like a, a marketing type, so I think this question caught him a little bit off guard, but when you first started doing sales in person, what was some of the content that you turned to, right? And he said, you know, there's a lot of sales courses out there. There's not one I would recommend, but they're all pretty good. But he said, the thing I like to do, though, is more important for me to get in front of people who I already know want the things I have to offer. Because otherwise, I will tell them, you know, you need to set up an IRA, for example. And they'll tell me like, oh, yeah, I know. And then they'll never do it, right? Similarly, I, I think it's important that when you send this first message, when you put in the resume, when you put in the proposal, when you do the cold call, you want to make sure that you're getting in front of quality people that you can talk to and you can answer their questions already. So many people, so many people, they go into studying copywriting, they go into studying sales, they go into studying persuasion, hoping that what that will allow them to do is unlock the one weird trick, right, that will get them to take someone who would be totally uninterested into being a, a buyer. And it's better to front load that work first and figure out 
who are your buyers? Who do you want to be in front of and how can you help them achieve what they already want to do? I think this is also really helpful for people. You know, a lot of the people I'll talk to, especially if they're going from working in a cubicle to running their own business and they've never done sales before. And, you know, I I saw, I heard this the other night at this event that one of the other speakers pointed out that this was how he felt. They feel sleazy the first time they do sales because they, that is the perception they have of sales. That is the perception they have of business development is that I'm tricking somebody into giving me their money. When if you know that what you're doing is you're just helping somebody achieve what they already want to achieve, it's so much easier to get yourself on that phone. It's so much easier to get yourself in their office. It's so much easier to send that right message. So what you're really talking about is pre-qualifying people before you even present to them. Oh, absolutely. It's better for you to take that time, that money, that energy to know what the people that you're talking to really want than trying to convince them that they should want it. You know, when I was working previously at Praxis, the company that I did business development for for a couple of years, when we got started, and it still is a, is a radical idea, but, you know, especially in like 2013, this was much more radical, telling people you don't need to go to college to get a good job. You don't need to go to college to get a job that requires a degree in the job description. People, you know, very few people agreed with that. And a lot of our stuff at first, especially on my end personally, was trying to convince people of this proposition. And that's really, really hard to do. That's really, really hard to do. And sometimes I'd occasionally get a friend, and I still do to this day, who they'll come to me and they'll say, like, you ended up being right. I was wrong. But the vast majority of the time, it was just better to get in front of someone who already, like, that that was just kind of intuitive to, right? And just provide them with the institution, provide them with the resource, provide them with the support to achieve that end that they already knew was real. One of the other things that occurred to me while you're speaking is you're really talking about creating some type of an attractive character and really using that to perhaps push other people away and really attract the ones that you resonate with. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of my stuff, especially my stuff on education, is divisive. And I understand that, and I've even noticed, I've experimented with my own personal brand, with my own business work. I've experimented with trying to moderate my tone a little bit. And, you know, I can do that, and some content doesn't need to be charged, right? Like, if I'm writing content, that's that's something along the lines of, you know, why you shouldn't sell to early-stage startups. That's a blog post I'm working on right now. That doesn't have to be that charged. That doesn't have to be that divisive, because it's really just, like, a basic kind of why to or how to kind of article. But the people that I want to work with are not people who, when I say like, yeah, you know, schools not designed to teach people what they need to teach. If they get their panties in such a bunch that they're offended by that, those are not people I want to work with. Even if they are people who can be coachable, otherwise they're just not going to be enjoyable to be around. So there's a positioning that's very intentional on my part about kind of like this anti-establishment tone that I have, right? You know, one of my copywriting coaches turned me on to a copywriter named Abby Woodcock, who she has a little lead magnet on her website that breaks down copywriting into five specific voices, right? And these voices are authoritative, friend of the bar, anti-establishment, learn with me. And then the last ones, I forget what she specifically called it, but it's essentially like uh, rainbows and, and gummy bears kind of life coach kind of stuff. <laughs> okay like Winnie the Pooh kind of stuff, right? And I I love her breakdown because I think most people naturally fall into one or a combination of two of those categories, right? So James Altucher is a good example of learn with me, 
right? All the life coaches are a good example of life coach stuff. I tend to be more authoritative and, and anti-establishment. You know, there are other people out there. Uh, one of the people I really like learning from is Ramit Sethi. He's very much authoritative and friend at the bar. And when you understand that, you can really start honing in your copy. Like the kind of person who really, really likes the the life coach kind of copy is not going to like my stuff. And that's fine. They don't have to. But I do some work with startups too, right? Like technology companies, which are very, very different than consulting businesses and very, very different than you know, lifestyle businesses. But I do a little bit of work with them in a totally separate kind of sphere of my professional life. And I'll often talk to people who they're still at the idea stage of their startup. And I'll ask them, you know, who is your ideal customer? And they come back with like this top-down valuation idea. And I did this once when I was younger. And, I, and my friends who work in venture capital still laugh at me for it. And they come back with like a trillion-dollar uh, total addressable market, right? And it's like, uh, that's like a third of the U.S. economy. I, I sincerely doubt that that's your total addressable market. Because they think that they're selling to everybody. And if you think that you're selling to everybody, you're selling to nobody. So you absolutely have to pre-qualify people. Actually talk to human beings. Talk to people who aren't your friends and see if they, if what you're saying resonates with them. I think that is a really common mistake. And I think a lot of new entrepreneurs and new business owners, they do things like this. They want to please everybody. And what ends up happening is they do nothing. They please nobody. Right. And, and, and I think part of it too is they look at somebody who's you know, 15, 20, 30 years into their business journey who can serve a much, much larger market because they've put in 15, 20, or 30 years worth of work. And they say, well, you know, this person serves all these demographics and they do it successfully. And it's like, well, yes, but who did that person serve when they started? That's the comparison you want to make. And this happens all the time psychologically where people, they get so caught up in this. Uh, this happens to me. Like, this is something that I think people need to just be cognizant of. It's so easy to compare yourself to where somebody is after they've already put in a lot of the work, rather than comparing yourself to where they are at the beginning of their work. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to stay on the same startup space, people comparing themselves to Facebook or you know Mark Zuckerberg, you know what he's worth today, what he's done today. That's not how he started at all. You know, Facebook was a university campus with some pictures on it, and you know it's been a dozen years or two dozen years of working on this every day and a team of people. Yeah, and maybe now they touch the whole planet, but it wasn't like that at first at all. Right, absolutely. We're just going to pause for a second on the interview because I want to tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report, and you're going to find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I want to tell you about this? Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore to become an expat, expat hopefuls. If you're looking at immigration or plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I want to give it to you free, 100% free. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page, you will see the special report. You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that. I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's going to really serve you well. So enjoy. Go to expatmoneyshow.com, download your free special report, and let's jump back into today's interview. 
So I want to switch things up a little bit. Talk to me a little bit more about the things that you're working on. I know that you have a new book coming out. I've got a book coming out early next year, tentatively titled How to Get Ahead, which kind of breaks down a lot of what I'm talking about here, about understanding incentives and understanding incentive structure and signaling the right things to the right people in order to uh, allow opportunities and make opportunities come to you, right? I have this concept in the book, at least in the, the current draft of the book, uh, called an opportunity machine, right? Where what I really, I love, I love the, the analogy of machines because if you set a machine up well and you maintain it well, it works, right? You, you just have to make sure that you do the maintenance and you have to make sure you do the setup well. And whether this is a, a, an inbound kind of machine for your business or an outbound kind of sales machine, I have this concept I call the opportunity machine where it's like, you are a personal brand. And I, I don't really like the phrase personal brand, but you are a brand. The reality is like when I got an email to come on your show, I Googled you, I did a little bit of research about you and I've made the decision about whether or not I wanted to appear on your show, right? When somebody emails me out of the blue, if I want to go meet with them, I Google them first, right? someone wants to be hired somewhere, often the employer will try to Google that person, at least look at their LinkedIn profile, often look at more of the things that they have. If you're doing consulting work, you know, or freelance work, the same kind of thing, someone is going to search for you. So you don't want to just make it that you avoid all the liabilities that your high school teacher who told you, you know, don't put pictures of you drinking on Facebook. Someone will see that someday. You don't, you, you don't want to just listen to that, what that logic is. And I think that logic's actually a little bit off. But rather, you want to make it that the right people find you and they approach you, that you are putting the right things out there into the ether. And this this applies if you're a small business owner, an entrepreneur. It also applies if you are an, a normal employed person, because the reality is you're not going to be working for IBM for 50 years. The reality is that you're not going to be working for Uber for 50 years. You'll probably change jobs. And at the very least, what you want, the position you want to be in is that the job that you are currently in is not a single point of failure in your career. That if you got laid off, if you got fired, if the company went under, that you wouldn't totally fall flat on your face and have to completely start all over again. So you want to have opportunities on the table, right? And the concept in the book is like, how do you do that? So I run through a couple things, how to find somebody from whom you can learn very quickly and how you can absorb their network to make it your network how you can signal that competence with your own website, with your own content, how you can do this outreach that you need to be able to do. I run people through the one goal setting workshop that I have that I call ambition mapping that breaks down what you should be focusing on removing from your life. We run through all these things, how, how you set up your work in such a way that it makes it easy for you to learn new skills, because the reality is you're going to need to keep learning new skills throughout your entire career, no matter the job that you're in. You could be a, a chemical engineer and you're still going to need to be learning things. And each chapter goes into what are the specific things you can do to make it that if you did all of these steps, you'd have what I call the opportunity machine. So new, interesting people with new, interesting opportunities are going to come to you. You could be working in sales at a major company and you're going to get people coming to you who can become new clients or who can offer you job, offer you a job, or you're going to get people coming to you who want to buy your products, or you can get people coming to you who they want to hire you for a consulting gig or something like this. Um, it's, it's essentially just understanding that you are a personal brand and that you can attract and repel the right and the wrong people from your life. And how do you do that? Right. 
And I think this is particularly the initial title of the book was How to Get Ahead When You Have Nothing to Offer. And this is particularly applicable to people who they're just starting out. If you don't have a lot of experience, if you don't have a lot of references, if you don't have a lot of skills yet, for you to go above and beyond and put together these resources and to be doing this outreach and to be meeting the right people and doing the right work with them will accelerate your career by years. It, it did for me. It did for a lot of the people that I, I used to work with, a lot of the people that I still work with. And I'm just trying to distill out the concepts that work. Well, the book sounds really exciting. I'm definitely going to read that when it does come out. So I agree with you. I'm going to go on record and say that I agree with you 100% because these are real shortcuts to the learning process. And I definitely agree with you that people need to continually learn, that just because you went to college 10 years ago, it doesn't mean that these skills are going to coast you through for the rest of your life, that people need to be reading or studying or masterminding or doing whatever it is that speaks to them. And they have to be doing it constantly. They have to be doing it all the time. Talk to me about some of the ways that you have found that really shortcuts this learning process. What has spoke to you and what have you seen work with some of your students? Yeah, so one of the first chapters, again, as of right now, we'll probably change the table of contents. One of the first chapters I have in How to Get Ahead is finding someone who is a master at something, at least compared to where you are right now, right? I don't really like the word mentor because... I think it's like the word networking, right? Like if you go to a networking event, you end up meeting a bunch of salespeople and you don't actually end up meeting the people that you need to meet. If you go to a mentoring event, the vast majority of the time, you run into losers who should not be mentoring you. And that's because the people who should be your mentor, the people you should be learning from are very busy. And again, if we understand economics and we understand incentives, they often don't have the time and the energy to go to an event that is something like that, unless they get like a, a pure consumption good out of it, like if it's a charity event or something like that. So you want to find someone, though, who is more experienced than you, that you can work directly under, preferably, at least in one area of your life, right? So let's say you want to get better at understanding startup investment. So you want to go find someone who has at least done a handful of startup investments. You don't have to go work like under Mark Andreessen. But you want to find someone who has done a handful of startup investing that you can learn from them. One of the greatest definitions of expertise that I recently came across in a New York Times article, I believe, that was a review of a book. And unfortunately, I'm blanking on the name of the book. But that expertise is pattern recognition. And pattern recognition is something that is very, very difficult to just like distill down into like, here's how to recognize patterns. You have to expose yourself to a very large sample size. And I think one of the better ways that you can learn uh, what that pattern recognition looks like and make that sample size smaller is work directly with somebody who's already exposed themselves to a large sample size, right? So again, investing is a really great example of this because the best investors, you can read books on like startup investing and almost all the best investors come down to like it's some version of gut, right? So they have a sense of what their gut identifies as good or bad and you can watch them make that decision. And that's really, really valuable. So working directly with those people, and then if you do work with them really well, too, you get to meet the people that they know, that they may have taken years and years to be able to meet. That's all really, really valuable, and that's a huge time saver on your part. And you have to do all these things sincerely, right? Like, I don't encourage you, like, just go work with this person as a roundabout way to take advantage of them. No, you, you should actually do valuable, productive work for them. And the way you do get in front of them is going back to what we were talking about earlier. What are their incentives? What are the things they're trying to achieve? 
what are the obvious things they're trying to achieve and what are some of the non-obvious things they're trying to achieve? What are some of the obvious things they want to avoid and what are some of the non-obvious things they want to avoid? Like get to know the person. I do a little bit of work with nonprofits that are doing fundraising, for example. And when I start working with them, and that's because actually two of the people I learned a lot of this outreach stuff from, both of them actually were nonprofit fundraisers before they went off to go to do other things. And there, there's great, great carryover from nonprofit fundraising into like business to business kind of networking and sales. But one of the things you want to do is like make sure you're taking notes on the people you're meeting. Like I, I've met some nonprofits that have been around for years where they don't have notes on their donors. They, they have like, oh, this person donated in this year and they work at this company and they live in the city, but they don't have like, they like this specific football team or they have this many children or they majored in this in college and this is the reason why they majored in this. Those are really important things to know about people because you might find like this person who runs a plastics company majored in philosophy when they were in college. That's kind of weird. So then you have a point that you can talk to them about, like, why did you major in philosophy? And now you run a plastics company. And then you might find out that they really, really enjoy Socratic seminars. And then you find out that you're running a Socratic seminar in their region and you can invite them. And that's an opportunity for them to see what their money is going towards. So under, again, this, this all goes back to pre-qualifying. Understand the people that you're talking to. Outside of that, you know, outside of finding people you can directly work with, obviously you want to find people that you can learn from as teachers. I find that this is actually harder to do today than I, I would have expected it to be. And that's because there's so much noise on the internet. The internet is a wonderful, fabulous thing. My iPhone I have sitting two feet away from me has access to more knowledge than all of Harvard's libraries in the 1950s combined. But it also has access to more garbage. And you need to find some sort of way to filter the signal from the noise. So really what I like is I find a handful of people that in specific areas, I think that they do what they do really well. And I will listen to any recommendation they have that relates to their area. So you basically let them curate the content for you. Yes. I think curated content is so ridiculously important today. And, and if I find someone who I like their stuff, I stick with them. I think it's, it's really important to, if you find something that works and you like the way the person presents it, and you're convinced that they do it well, stick with them. Because otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of time, money, and energy just trying to find other people. So if somebody is really, really good in fitness, in health and fitness, for example, and they recommend a book, I'll, I will just buy the book. I might you know, check the reviews first, but I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I will just buy the book if they recommend that book. If somebody is really good at public speaking, for example, or they're the person I want to go to for public speaking, I will buy any book that they recommend because books are cheap, right? Like unless it's like a, an out of print book, that's like a thousand dollars. You should just buy any book that somebody that you respect recommends. That, that's, that's my rule. Don't buy any book that anybody recommends, but any, buy any book that anybody you respect recommends. And that's a rule that I actually, I, I kind of had informally myself, but I found that, you know, one of the core people I go to for all this stuff has recommended too. And that's Ramit Sethi. I really like his stuff. He was the, the person I was talking about a couple minutes ago that I met the other day. And the reason I like his stuff is because it's very, very well researched and it tends to speak to the, like whatever my specific needs are very, very quickly. So if you can find someone like that, I recommend just sticking with them. Like I, I've purchased a, a handful of his courses and it's so much to the point that if, if I know that the course speaks to a problem I have now and it is under a certain price point, I will buy it without reading his sales page. 
Well, that really is the power of influencer marketing. And to kind of bring things full circle, it's that trust factor. If this person has put in the time and the effort and they really speak to you and you trust what they have to say, I agree with you 100%. Just go for it. Get their things. Often they really do have your best interest at heart. And a lot of them have money-back guarantees, too. Oh, like, exactly. This, if you don't like something, ask for a refund. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But usually these people, their reputation is so valuable to them that they're not going to go out there and make recommendations just based on an affiliate link or a financial gain for themselves because they understand the lifetime value of having you as a follower or a customer or a client or however you want to call it. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the other people in this category that I only recently actually was was introduced to, but He's a good example. He doesn't actually ever do book recommendations. So when he does do one, I bought the book immediately because I was like, this guy takes this seriously. And I've adopted a version of this on my own site. I don't do recommended books anymore. I used to do that. I used to have articles that were like, these are the books I recommend that you read. Now all I have is I have a page on my website, just zackslayback.com forward slash bookshelf, where it's like, these are all the books I recently bought on Amazon. I can't recommend all of them, but this is essentially a look at what I've purchased on Amazon since like December 2016. And I I tell people, it's like, these these are not recommendations necessarily, but this is a look into what I am buying. I used to do something very similar. I used to take pictures for New Book Day because every time I'd fly to the States, I'd have a massive Amazon order. So I read on average, say eight to 10, sometimes even 11 or 12 books a month. So when I'd get this big box in, I'd lay everything out and take a picture. Now, like you said, these are not necessarily recommendations because I haven't even read them yet myself, but this is what I am studying at the moment. These are the books that caught my eye. Exactly. So Zach, talk to me a little bit about what you're passionate about right now. Like, What are you working on that really has you excited? Yeah, that's a great question. So in addition to working on the book, I'm working on breaking down a lot of what we've already talked about, this incentive-based thinking, the business-to-business kind of business development, the sales, the networking, trying to really break it down into easily consumable resources for people, right? The reality is I get a lot of people who come to me and they either aren't uh, appropriate people for me to work one-on-one with or like with the book coming up, I just don't have the time to work with everybody, even if I want to work with them. So I really want to break it down into more consumable resources. So uh, you'll notice on my blog, a lot more how-to pieces. I love those because if someone asks me a question, it's like, okay, if this person has this question, the chances are that there are a lot of other people who have this question. I should write about it and then I can just send it to people. So a lot more how-to pieces. I am releasing a couple digital products one on how to email anybody that is based on workshops that I run for companies, based on workshops I run for nonprofit organizations, based on workshops I run for people who have to do work that is like very heavily email-based and heavily outreach-based. So that's coming up. I do have the email scripts that I've used through my career. Again, they're primarily designed to email a lot of very busy people. Those are available both on zacksleyback.com and on bestemailscripts.com. Uh, that's a website that we just recently launched, became the number five product of the day on Product Hunt the day it was released. And the focus there too is, I, I actually don't like a lot of templates. I don't like a lot of scripts. And if you download mine, you'll even notice I say like, in this section, you want to make a sincere kind of reference to something that this person's work has done for you, right? And you have to actually think about that. You can't just like copy and paste in, like in all caps and bold and brackets, like this is a sincere compliment. That'd be weird. Uh, And it would very obviously look like a script in a template. But I'm working on that. I'm also working on some of the stuff that's more focused on how to get 
hired for a startup job. There are a lot of like dream job, hashtag dream job products out there. And I can't speak to how to get hired at Google. I can give you overarching concepts that will help. Again, like the incentive mapping stuff will help, but that's just not where my expertise lays. That's not where my experience lays. I can't talk to you about how to get hired at the Department of Defense. I, I don't want to talk to you about how to get hired at the Department of Defense, but I can talk to you about how to get hired at a high growth company. I can talk to you how to get hired at a company that the decision makers are still accessible people and they probably either don't have an HR person or that a HR person is not the one necessarily making all the hiring decisions. So that, that's a big focus of my time right now. I'm really, really accessible. I encourage people to email me, follow me on Instagram. You can shoot me a message there. Instagram, I'm just at zslayback. Email is just zslayback at gmail.com. So I like talking to people who find what we're talking about here interesting because it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's a lot of the pre-qualification stuff. You have to actually go talk to human beings. And by talking to those human beings, you can find out how can I help people? How can I solve their problems? And if you can solve their problems, they're more than happy to work with you. Perfect. I love it. Very, very, very interesting conversation today with you, Zach. So as you mentioned, the best way for people to get a hold of you is on Instagram. And what are those email addresses again? zslayback at gmail.com. And you can also just go to zackslayback.com, sign up for the email list. You'll get an automatic reply to confirm your email address. And if you reply to the confirmation email, that goes to me anyway. So it is an automatic email, but all the replies do come to me, and I do read every single email that I get that comes in my way. Perfect. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for your time, Zach. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Miguel. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. 
Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.